Hey guys, and happy Wednesday. Um, I'm just here to say hello yet again. Um, this is Jen, your sommelier, owner, and founder of Viva Porvino, a podcast about wine. Um, hey, as promised, we are going to start our journey around the world tonight. Um, what we're going to do today is learn about old world we're going to learn about new world um and what that means and the big differences and kind of really start to understand the complexities of each region so we'll touch base on a few really important regions today um we'll talk about the old world and you know some history behind it and some regions and where they land on the spectrum of say production and things like that um and then we're going to get into new world and how new world came about um who is predominant in the new world some upcomers to kind of look out for and kind of push through there after that um each week we are going to go somewhere different and i do want to start old world because I really think that we need to understand the foundation first, and I've expressed that in the past. Um, so really what we're gonna do is talk about old world first. We'll do new world as well today, but as we progress week over week, as you follow me on this journey around the world, um, we're gonna start France, Italy, Germany, Spain, Portugal, Greece, Austria. We're going to get into those countries first and then we're going to move into the new world countries, the United States, the South Africa's, the China's, the Australia's, the Americas, the um all the new world wines. So, let's really just jump in really quickly and talk about a couple of things. Um one, grab your journals if you have them readily available. Um, take your notes. Today's going to be just really cool and a high-level overview of new and old worlds. But I really wanted to start and kind of get a basis of, like, production and who produces the most amount of wine in this world. So, um, by volume, I hope that everybody knows that it's not the United States by volume. I've mentioned this in the past that Italy has like 15,000 different grape varietals. Everyone in Italy produces wine. So by volume, Italy produces the most amount of wine that's distributed to the, the masses. France would come in second. Spain would be third. United States shortly behind Spain, Argentina, and Chile, which I found Argentina and Chile to be really kind of the eye-opening ones. I didn't really realize that so many wines come from there, but then I started to think about all the wines that I, I've experienced in my life, and I do come across Chilean and Argentinian wines more often. Um... And an even further spectrum for production, um, I would say the next tier down in production uh, would go Australia, South Africa, China, Germany, Portugal, and Russia. So you're going to also notice that some of those are our old world countries that are still producing wine, but not as the mass and not at a mass production like some of these other countries um, and some of these new world countries who have taken over um, some of the reins. One region that I really am very interested in right now is South Africa. I've been pleasantly surprised on a lot of the wines that I've been drinking from South Africa. Um, in particular, there's one that I, I came across um, Actually, I'll give credit to the previous sommelier at my position that I'm at currently. Um, it's called Babylastorian. There's a red blend and then there is a white blend. And the white blend is a 
Chardonnay Semillon Chenin Blanc Vinonier blend. And let me tell you what. This is one not to be missed. It's a very low price point. It is really, really a fantastic white wine. It is a good drinkable. You can put it with um, some foods. We have a lot of really cool stuff at my work and charcuterie boards and things like that. So it goes really well with cheeses and things. I absolutely am digging South African wines right now. And another one um, that I've found I, f I really enjoy, and I've mentioned this in the past, but Australian, um, they do one heck of a job with Chardonnay. Um, I've come across a couple Australian Chardonnays that I've really enjoyed. Um, I, again, not a huge white wine fan, um, but getting into whites, and I think they're just standing out to me more often because they're not something I really get into very often. Um, so the South African whites, the Australian whites, I would say if you can get your hands on something like those, why not try them? Um, so as we move forward, let's kind of break down. I've listed a couple of these regions already, but let's really kind of talk about the geography and the wine appellations and things in Europe, okay? Because that's really our old world domination. Um, Western Europe is where most of the volume comes from. So like I said, France, Italy, Spain, um, are kind of the world's top producers. But you get some smaller producers in the Germany's, the Portugal's, and you don't count out Greece and Austria because they do a really phenomenal job. Um, I did a Greek masterclass recently with American Wine School, and they have some really just exquisite wines. I think their whites are a lot crisper and cleaner. Um, they they provide kind of an excitement for me. Um, and that's also just because I haven't tried many Greek wines before. Um, their, their red wines, I will not lie, I didn't find anything to like write home about. There were a few that I enjoyed, but I wasn't like, they weren't like, overwhelmingly showy by any means. I feel like I think their whites showed a lot better than their reds to me, but that could have also just been what was on the table that night. Um, that being said, when you look at different regions inside of these countries, there are growing regions. And we have to understand that there's some countries with a very fair amount of their populace and their acreage being utilized to, to make wine, especially in Italy. So Italy is number one. They are the most producers. They have basically every inch of the country is producing some sort of wine. But I think there it is a pride thing. Everyone has a piece of land and then everyone wants to contribute. And wine grows so well in Italy that it's almost easy for everyone to have kind of a piece of a vineyard somewhere on their property and then they can produce wine and pr produce it year round. Um, their climates just give for that, right? So they have a good harvest, they make a lot of wine, and there's just a lot of juice in the area so people can barter, trade, explore other wineries. Um, you're, you're finding that people trade at juices on a regular basis um, to create and come up with something different. But I also think that there's a mindful prideness in their particular area. So if I'm an old world winemaker, I know that I only have so much significant land to produce my grapes. And everyone else does too. So I need to make sure that the grapes that I'm growing are the ones that are native to the area, they'll grow the best in the area, they'll produce the most wine, and I also need to be as efficient as possible in producing the most amount with the shortest piece of property, right? Because there's only so much property inside of Italy 
but there's so many people who are creating wines every day. Second to that, but first in fame, would be France. France is what put wine really on the map. Um, There is historians saying that it came from Mediterraneans and islands have been found to have, you know, 800 BC. There's vines grown to make wine and there's, you know, but as we know it and as, you know, the wine world studies it is France is kind of like that big originator. Um, They're second by volume, but their volume comes from Champagne, Bordeaux, Burgundy, Loire, uh, Rhone Valley. There's all these different little regions inside of France, and we're going to very much dive into each and every one of them. Um, But know that they're first in fame, second volume. Just below that is Spain. So they're going to be... I would say they're like under the vine. There's so many, there's so much population and acreage in the country of Spain that produces wine that is, it's actually pretty surprising. Um, They have uh, a lot more that export than you would think. Um, Spanish wine also tends to, by what I've experienced in the past and experienced from winemakers that I know, um, Spain tends to be one of those producers that likes to also like give their wine to others to find a way to make better blends and things like that. So you'll find that um, native Spanish grapes do get blended into other countries as well. So that was something I read up on recently and I thought was pretty interesting. Um, Beyond that, you have uh, Austria. They're among like the 17th largest producing um but they do produce a good amount of wine on their coast and this is more like the east coast um so it tends to be more of a a coastal thing versus an inland and doesn't provide much in the world of wine but there are some wines from austria that just kind of blow your mind That also being said, I'm a Michigander. Michigan and Austria have very similar climates and they tend to mirror and match each other. So a lot of the things that Austria is doing, uh, we're doing here in Michigan. I, I, I met a winemaker from the Simpson Estates in the Leelanau Peninsula and she explained that we can get some Austrian juices here and grapes in in Michigan and we can grow these grapes. So we were talking about it and she said that she got some vines from Austria and those are probably some of her most thriving vines in Michigan. So it, we do have really chilly cold temperatures um, where she is in the Leelanau Peninsula. Um, she's surrounded by water. Um, So you're getting high heat in the day. You're getting cold, cold nights. Um, It's a higher elevation. It's also north of the, it's like the northern, northern part of Michigan, which is um, almost to Canada. Um, So, you know, they're getting a lot of snow and it's really cold during the winter months, um, which really helps some of these vines thrive um, when it's time for, for harvest and bloom. Now, um, your double digits are in in 10th place would be Germany. And Germany, same sort of situation. They're cold. So, Wurzstraminer, Rieslings, those are the grapes that really super thrive inside Germany. Um, You're going to get sweeter on those sides. So, know that... Germany is an old world country, but they produce quite a bit of wine, but not as much as, you know, these these other massive producers. Um, And I like this fun fact. It says, however, 
the nation, it consumes more than twice as much wine as it makes. So, um, I give credit where credit is due, and I'll, I'll note my source later at the end of the podcast, but, um, I'm absolutely loving that Germany and German people, um, we know the German, Germany is very big on beer, um, but knowing that they produce twice as much wine as they can, they can, they, they consume twice as much as they produce is actually pretty funny in my eyes. So, um, I'm absolutely loving that fun fact. Moreover, there's Portugal and there's Greece. Um, Portugal's got a lot of maritime and a lot of coastal opportunities. So like places, um, in like Southern France and all over Italy, they're able to grow wines, um, kind of all over. They're the 11th largest wine producer. Um, but they're also very much known in Portugal for their ports. Um, fortified wines do very, very well there. They ferment multiple times and they do a lot more of those sweeters um those fortifieds the ports the sherries the madeiras things like that greece of course i've also touched on greece once before but um they're the 18th largest wine producer um i think i just didn't I didn't fall in love with their reds because I think their whites were just so outstanding to me. So just kind of another sidebar on that. Um, So let's kind of dive in for just a few minutes on each individual old world region and kind of talk about them. Um, And I'm not going to go very far. Like I said, today's high level overview because we're really, really going to dive into these. So um, basically... France is broken up into a couple of regions, um, Burgundy, Champagne, Bordeaux, Loire Valley, Rhone Valley, Alsace, and what we get from each one of these regions is kind of honestly completely different from the next. So, um... Modern fine wine traces back its roots to medieval Burgundy. Um, They're notorious for their wine and their masters of wine. Um, So some wine districts in Burgundy, you get Bourgogne, you get Chablis, you get Côte d'Or, you get Côte de Chalones, um, Macones, Beaujolais. Um, all of these regions kind of go north to south. Um, very much crisp, clean whites, tart, earthy reds, um, slightly lighter in bodied, um, very fruit forward. Um, there's a couple of burgundies I have at work that are just... You have a burgundy and you're like, oh gosh, this is so great. Um, They are very much Chardonnay and Pinot Noir based. Um, I have a a Pinot Noir on my menu. Um, It's actually from Loire Valley, but it is 100% Pinot Noir from France. And I had some people come into work and they thought they loved Pinot Noir um, and they thought they knew Pinot Noir and this girl was kind of snotty about her Pinot so I asked her if she'd ever had a French Pinot and she said no so I was like okay where are you drinking your Pinots from and she said well I like the Willamette Valley from Oregon and I like the I like some Californias and I said cool well trust me let's just have this um it was Louis Latour Centenay uh, 100% Pinot Noir it is phenomenal Pinot and she took one sip, put her glass down, looked at me, and she goes, well, I have never tasted real Pinot Noir. Thank you for letting me taste the, my first real glass of Pinot Noir. So know that it, you're in for it if you if you get a Pinot from France. Um, champagne, obviously, we get uh, vin, vintage and non-vintage champagne. You get rosés. 
Um, we've talked about brute to dry to demi-sec. Um, sometimes you get blanc de blancs inside of champagne, but if champagne bubbly is coming from champagne, um, you know it's probably going to be one of those really wonderful dries. Um, it also can't be called champagne unless it comes from Champagne, France. So, um, I think non-vintage is probably the most popular when it comes to champagnes, but vintages are cool too, especially when they're aged for a long period of time. Um, next would be your Bordeaux region. And we've talked about Bordeaux. Again, the five main Bordeaux grapes are Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, Petit Verdot, and Petit Syrah, occasionally. So five Bordeaux grapes, Merlot, Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and every once in a while the Syrah. Petit Syrah, sorry. Um, Bordeaux districts would be Bordeaux, Medoc, Graves, Right Bank. Um, basically, Right Bank, Left Bank is the biggest distinction in Bordeaux. Um, Medoc and Left Bank would be in would be Graves. So Medoc, Graves are more the Left Bank side. Um, your Right Bank would be Bordeaux, and I will tell you that each side of the Bordeaux regions have very, very distinct flavor profiles. Very distinct. So you can, sometimes you can just smell it right off the bat and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about where um, you know it's right bank automatically. They hold a little bit more juice. Um, little bit more flavor and complexity so that also being said as we move over to the Loire Valley and look at Loire you have to also understand that there's kind of different peaks and valleys inside of the Loire Valley um, so some pieces of this will produce more sweeter because of the weather change okay because there's like three zones to the climate inside of the Loire Valley. Um, so top, some top cellars and top styles of wine um, in Loire are Sincere's, Poulet Fumé's, um, Avouvray, uh, Chinon, which tends to be Cab Franc, um, Bourguil. I have a Cab Franc from the Chinon and Bourguil region on my menu, and it is funky and really really cool um Loire Valley tends to be where I draw most I love Sincere I absolutely love some of the lighter bodied um kind of like pinky rosé um just really fantastic ripe wines that come from Loire Valley on the other side, the Rhone Valley tends to be a little bit more, you know, succulent, a little bit bigger. You're getting your Syrahs and your Grenaches um, from the Rhone side. So they tend to be a big, bit bigger, um, a bit more complex. Um, you're going to get Costa Rhone. You're going to get Chateauneuf de Pops, Tavals, um, Muscats. I absolutely think that there are some wickedly cool styles in the Rhone Valley. Um, they get spicy. You're getting flavorful. You're getting dry, pinky white on the rosé kind of side. Chateau Neuf de Pops are powerful. They're spicy. They have a lot to give. Um, I've mentioned before uh, Anne Charlotte at uh, Font de Loup in Chateau Neuf de Pops she changed the nature of her soil and she's got sand instead of this rocky soil that is native to the area. So she's made an elevated version of a Chateauneuf de Pop. It is exquisite. 
Um, very elegant, very high class, uh, much more floral than what you get on the typical deep Chateau Neuf de Pops. Um, there's a lot of Hermitage, um, and in those, there's intense, like, peppery. I, I, I think Rhone Valley has a lot to desire. They're not really super high profile, like Bordeaux or Burgundy, um, but I feel like it's kind of that sleeper. You have a, a wine from Rhone Valley, and it, it'll blow your mind every single time. Um, last region in France would be Alsace. Um, these are strong German influences. They tend to do whites very, very well. Um, Pinot Blancs come from here. Uh, Riesling, Pinot Gris, Gwurztraminers, light Pinot Noirs. Um, they tend to do unoaked. They're very fragrant, light sweetness. Um, the Rieslings tend to be really sharp and really dry, which is really kind of cool because Riesling's kind of a sweet grape anyways. Um, you get a lot of peach and like stone fruit from the Alsace region. So I think they're one of the like, I would say most exquisite white winemakers that you can get with the freshness and the acidity and just the pure balance of an, the Alsace region with white wine um, really just will, will elevate your style for sure. Moving on to our number one producers, but don't get that twisted, they weren't the first to produce, is Italy. Now we have Tuscany or Toscana, however you want to say it. And I will tell you this, when I first got into wine, I was working in an Italian restaurant and I've been an Italian for a long time. So personally, I kind of geek out a little bit more on the Italian wines. I also went to a tasting yesterday that had some 150, 200 bottles of Italians. And I will tell you this, Rosso's kicked butt in the room yesterday. I'm a huge Rosso fan. I wasn't before. I am now. Um, background on Italy. Italy's a large country. Again, like 15,000 grape varietals come through Italy. Uh, they do a really fantastic job, but it's also a pride factor. So, um, in these regions, each region has their native grapes and they thrive in that area and people really just want to make the best of the best of the native grape that they can. So in Tuscany, you are going to find Sangiovese as the native grape. Sangiovese is the grape in Chianti, Chianti Classico. It's also found in Brunello de Montalcino, Rosso de Montalcino, Toscana Rosso's. Uh, Vernaccia's I will tell you this Sangiovese is a very exquisite grape it's a very great deep dark very age worthy thick skinned grape um, and provides a lot of depth and a lot of complexity some other terms you need to know when it comes to Tuscany um, you'll get Reserva. That's the legal term. Um, it's been aged a little bit longer. Um, and it's been aged before it's been released. Super Tuscan is kind of the informal, originally coined, non-traditional, like, prestige of the wine. Um, often using French grapes as a blend. But really just saying, like, this is a... Tusk, a super Tuscan. Um, so it's kind of like an elevated and trying to elevate the Tuscana region um, by utilizing other grapes other than Sangiovese. Um, Chianti Classico, a lot of people think, oh, it's Chianti. Chianti's the grape. No, actually, it's not. Sangiovese is the grape for Chianti. So um, if you see on a wine list Sangiovese, 
Don't get that confused. That is Chianti. Totally worth it to try that out. Um, it also could be a Brunello or a Rosso, just in the way in which it's made. Beyond that one, you have Piedmont. Piedmont tends to be the most competitive in my eyes. Um, you have the Alba and the Asti region. You have the Barbaresca and the Barolo region. Um, Barolo versus Barbaresca. Um, Barolo is your masculine. Your Barbaresca is your feminine. Both made from Nebbiolo. Uh, officially, 2018 Nebbiolo Barolo has been awarded the number one vintage of all time. I have mentioned that in the past. Um, but notably, full tannin, um, earthy, very powerful. They rank uh, under some of the most important Italian wines that we have. Barbera di Alba and Barbera di Asti tend to be really medium body. And that also being said, notice that it's the same grape. It's both a Barbera grape, um, but they're from two different regions. So they tend to compete and they tend to be very opposite each other because they come from two separate sides of the country. Um, Dolcettos tend to be medium bodied, very fruity. And flavor um, and then know that Asti the Asti region inside of Piedmont is like the end-all be-all of Moscato so if you ever see a Moscato di Asti you want that Moscato it's typically slightly effervescent and bubbly um, it's got a little spike to it it's typically very tart very very good um very sweet though so moscato is very very sweet and um moscato diasi is uh the fermentation is kind of interrupted um and half of it is turned into sparkling so it's like half sparkling half dry white wine there's also another couple white wines that come from the area gavi and arnais Gavi tends to be really subtle, but I love Gavi because it almost has like a roundness like a Chardonnay does. And it really, it really is a fantastic little wine. Um, Arnais tends to be one of my favorite white wines from Piedmont. Um, this one's really super fragrant. It's dry. Um, it goes very well with cheeses and meats and creaminess. Uh, I just, I really love those, those white wines. Um, so in Piedmont, notice there's not very many. Barolo, Barbaresca, Barbera, Dolcetto, Moscato, Gavi, Arnais. There's literally only what? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe eight, six to eight types of wine being made. Um, but super, super predominant. Um, super popular. They are kind of the most prestigious when it comes to the wine world. Um, so Piedmont region is definitely a region to get your hands on some things. Treventos um, tend to be Pinot Grigios, Proseccos, Frulis, Valpolicellas, Amarones, Repasso, Melo, Pinot Noir. Um, Treventino is probably one of my favorite regions without even knowing it. So think about this. Veneto, Frulli, Trentino, Alto Adige. Um... I absolutely love some of these wine regions and some of them hold native to some really cool wines. So like the Alto Adige region has a Lagrine and a Schiava and a Pinot Bianco in that area that are just unlike any other and they're un absolutely unreal how cool these wines are. Um, Northeastern Italy is where 
Treventino is. Um, their top white wines are Pinot Grigio, Prosecco, and the Frulli. Their top reds are Valpolicella, Amarone, and the Merlot and Pinot Noir. They do a good Repasso as well um, that comes from the Amarone grape, um, but Valpolicella tends to be one of the more popular and more recognized, I would say, areas. So people see Valpolicella and say, oh, I love that wine. And it's kind of, do you know about that area? Do you know why you love that wine? Or do you just know that you have always liked wine from the Valpolicella region, which again is the Trevento area. Um, Southern Italy, we kind of look at a few different spaces. Um, Alianico, Multipucciano, Negro Amora, Nero Diavola, uh, Primitivos come from there. So those are some of the top red styles in the south of Italy. Um, there's a lot of really cool regions. Um, Sicily being one of the bigger regions to produce wine. Um, in the south of France, white wines are not as predominant in this area because of the heat, um, but they do have a Fiano and an Insolia um, that tend to come from these areas, similar to uh, Sauvignon Blanc, I would say, uh, as the Insolia, the Fiano tends to be a light white wine, like a light roan. Um, so know that southern italy has huge labels like multipucciano di abruzzo and nero diavolas and things they are intense spicy rich fragrant um kind of tangy and earthy uh, they leave good aromatics so um the south of italy tends to really give a hell of a way to explore wine um but i would highly recommend a few of them i would check out an alianico super cool wine um and i would definitely get your hands on a negro amora um negro amora is the black and bitter grape from the puglia region um it's known for its dark color and high tannin um so this is going to be really 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 big grape and really super juicy i i feel like it's probably one of the more complex grapes i've ever explored before but i love negromora on to number three would be spain so spain has some really cool wines grenaches monastrels um top one would be rioja toros Prior Rats, um, Tempranillos, and their white wine, Cavas, Albrinos. They tend to get into sherries and get into the sweet side of things. Spain has a quality and a maturity to it that I don't think is well recognized. Um, they're very much judged for their intensity versus um, the quality and the... <coughs> excuse me... Um, the level of intensity that they have um i really think that they're they present very well if it's the right bottle to the right people otherwise people give uh spain kind of in my eyes kind of a like a bad rap um people are like i don't want spanish wine i would rather have you know argentinian but i find also that like tempranillos grenaches monastrels tend to blend very well um, I've been recently getting into Prior Rats, and I really think that they have definitely something to search for. Um, a new grape to me, to be honest with you. Um, but what we also need to know about Spain is there's not like one particular area in Spain that wine grows. Um, there's green Spain where it's like dead in the center. There's northern central Spain southern and the mediterranean side of spain that really yields a ton of different flavors so you get a lot of tanginess you get some oakiness but they're strong they're leveled they're pungent your cava is really toasty sometimes kind of creamy you get 
really bright fragrant fruits from the albreños um, and the sherries tend to be really nutty so a lot of cool cool profiles from spain other old world countries we're talking about today are germany um, and austria so germany again one of those long time been making wines but don't make very many and they make them in areas in which are easy to get blended grapes from from like another region so they're close to France is what I'm really getting at um, and they have their German wines are really known for being sweet um, kind of like mild they have really cold climate so Rieslings tend to be dry um, and they market for Riesling and Wurzterminers more often than not. Um, there's ice wine, there's uh, a few other, Moselle, I really love a Moselle, um, but they are, tend to be super tart and super sweet and really under like 10% alcohol. So those of you who are looking for low alcohol, Moselle, M-O-S-E-L, um, from Germany I will give you this I haven't really got far into German wine the German wines I've had have more often than not been like cabinets and Riesling and things like that so I've stuck to the sweeter side of things um, which I would highly recommend from this region so they are very much known for their sweetness um, but if you do get your hands on some know that you're getting into sweet appley um peaches and pears um kind of stone fruitiness and just sweet sweet cold deliciousness um usually typically lower in alcohol um i love a good german white in the pool or on the boat um austria another kind kind of german influenced um, country when it comes to wine um, they tend to get their grapes are you know super ripe and they have kind of a strong fermentation flavor I guess I would say um, Gruner, Riesling, uh, Weissbergunders, um, Ice Wines are there, um, Ausbrochs uh, I don't speak German or Austria, um, Austrian, which is a German-speaking country, I guess. Um, uh, so I have a hard time really speaking some of these words. I will not lie about it. Um, you're going to get light wines, tangy, herbaceous. You're going to get vibrance and vibrantness and some tanginess, um, stickiness in the ice wine and the sweetness of it. So, again, colder climates really sweet whites tend to really thrive here um, and the last two old world regions we're gonna just cover today are Portugal and Greece so Portugal um, Porto's Madeira's the sweet fortifieds is where we're going with these so they Portugal is known for their ports um, Madeira comes from Madeira um, they tend to do fizzy whites, deep tangy reds. Um, they get into the ports and the Madeira, so they're sweet and they're tart. And, um, you know, we'll talk about Madeiras and ports on their own and what that means. But um, the strongest would be the ports. And they, Portugal is basically the man when it comes to your fortifieds. They didn't really get on the map until like the 80s and 90s so they're kind of behind the curve but um they're really becoming a lot more popular as years go on and more recognition is brought about the region greece is another region that i said i went to a master class of and really absolutely loved the greek wines and like i said i really enjoyed their white wine um, they have most of the coastal terrain. They're very sunny. Um, they have a really Mediterranean climate, so it's super hot. Um, and they grow really fantastic indigenous grapes. 
Um, so these are really honestly difficult for me to pronounce. So I will just kind of say as, as best I can. Um, Estrico, it's A-S-S-Y-R-T-I-K-O. Um, Macho Filero, um, M-O-S-C-H-O. F-I-L-E-R-O. I do not speak Greek. Um, uh, um, I have a few of these on my list at work. I like this wine. I really thought it was really fa fantastic. It's kind of a sour red. Um, and actually that word means sour red. Um, that's spelled X-Y-N-O-M-A-V-R-O. Um, and then the other ones I have are uh, Ag Erorg Itiko, A G I O R G I T I K O, um, kind of tangy, medium weight. They do do a muscat, um, so they do tend to keep it on the sweet side sometimes too. Um, tardy, aromatic, um, very tannic reds, tanginess. Uh, Greece has a lot of really cool spots um, that do winemaking. Um, I just think that they have a lot more to learn and a lot more to be desired, to be honest. Um, just in my opinion, though, I maybe just need to be exposed to more Greek wine. Who knows? As we progress, I uh, see we jump into the latter end of this and cover the New World. I'm not going to get as in-depth into the New World as I got into the Old World in this particular day because we're really going to cover New World. But we, what we do need to know are what these New World countries really are. Um, so... When you look at the New World, you have to look at not only the country, but the regions of the country that are making wine. Um, and when we look at New World, let's let's kind of break that down. Let's talk about New World, which is not European. Um, we're talking New Zealand. We're talking Australia. We're talking South Africa, Chile, Canada, United States. Um, we know that the United States is the new world leader in wine production. We know that California and the Willamette Valley, Portland area, Oregon, um, parts of Washington, Washington state, excuse me, um, are high producers of wine, but we can't forget that Michigan and New York and a couple other states are really producing some fantastic and high level stuff. Um, Canada tends to be very small, but they have some significant pieces of wine. And that being said, considering Michigan and Canada are so close, what I do know is there's some wines being blended from Canada to Michigan. Um, some grapes that are growing in Canada and thriving there tend to blend with some of our grapes a little bit better in Michigan. So um, that's something that happens regularly. Um, Chilean wines, um, you get coastal Chile, which gives uh, you know a lot from like the Mendoza area. Um, and then you also have to know that Argentina is near that. Um, so Chilean and Argentinian wine has made um, a pretty good staple for themselves. And they're one of the top, you know, what, 10 producing wine countries. Um, Argentina is the second largest wine producer in the New World. Um, but 70% of their vines come from Mendoza. So you're getting a lot of the same kind of juices and grapes because a lot of it comes right directly from there. Um, Chilean vineyards uh, tend to mimic and mirror and match a lot of what Argentina is doing. But because they're like right on the coast, they get some really cool 
variances of the wine. Um, Australia um, Pioneers, uh, they are doing some phenomenal stuff. Their cabs, their Chardonnays are absolutely fantastic. They're very much known for their Shiraz. Everyone knows the, you know, the yellowtail Shiraz um, and thinks that that's what Australia has to offer. I promise you, they have so much more to offer than that. So do yourself a favor and dive into Australia a little bit further. South Africa, again, in the Capes. Um, all Off the Cape is where everything is made. Um, their ninth biggest source in the world when it comes to wine production at this point they are crushing the game they are just crushing it i every south african wine i've tried has been absolutely fantastic um new zealand is another um true newcomer that is doing absolutely exquisite wines um they are savion blanc um heavy um marlboro new zealand put savion blanc kind of on the map in the 90s um, and, a, and they're 16th today in world production. Some notable newcomers, China, Russia, Brazil, um, like we talked about New Zealand and Canada, but by volume, like China, Russia, Brazil, they're really picking up the pace um, on production and seeing that. So let's talk about the United States. Um, we're gonna ho focus very heavily on California for one of our, our days. And I think I'll actually do just California and then we'll kind of get into other coasts and other areas in the United States when we talk about them. Um, but top red styles, Cabernet Sauvignon and blends of Zinfandel, um, Merlots, Pinot Noirs, White Chardonnay, Sauvignon Blancs. It's a very, very basic. Um, we know that wines have been been made since the 1800s um but judgment of paris in 17 or 1976 was where california kind of put their name on the map when it comes to wine um judgment of paris is the day that a blind tasting between california and france um and california won by a landslide so um know that you know the new world california dominance happened in like the 70s um so we know we have to understand that we're talking hundreds of years before the united states got popular all these old world countries that we were just talking about have been producing so this is kind of like the the newness and what you're finding in the new world especially in california are rich toasty Chardonnays, brisk and tangy Sauvignon Blancs. You're getting dense, powerful reds. So your Cabernets are going to be big and strong and Zinfandels are going to be jammy. You're going to get elegance, um, but more of a, a heavier midweight on a Pinot Noir than in like a Willamette Valley or say a French Pinot Noir. Um, there's a lot of areas inside of California that we're going to be looking at um, AVAs, American Viticulture Areas um, those are places such as Sonoma County, Napa Valley um, you go Stag's Leap, Rutherford, Howell Mountain um, Mendocino County we're talking about Santa Barbara, St. Helena and the Central Coast um, we're going to talk about Santa Cruz Monterey and what all of those places kind of provide for us in California. Um, again, Pacific Northwest at a glance would be your um, Washington and Oregon's, Oregon Pinot Noir, Washington Merlot, Washington Syrahs. I've had a really awesome Washington cab recently, which was fantastic. I had to search for it, but I found it. Um, Oregon Pinot Gris. Washington Rieslings on your white side. So um, really stylistic, um, very elevated, tend to be a little bit more earthy um, and give a lot of different nuances from the big jammy juices that come from California. Canada, again, they, they tend to be a really good blend for us in the United States, especially us in Michigan um, because of their coldness. 
We're talking ice wines, Rieslings, Cab Francs do really well, Pinot Gris, Pinot Noirs, Syrahs. Same kind of grapes that are be gr being grown in very well in Michigan are the ones that are being grown here um, in Canada. Um, they tend to be really, really cold days and cold nights and these cold bearing fruits um, that are like an ice wine from Germany or from Austria are really thriving in Canada. So again, super sweet ice wines, um, really just cold thriving climates. Again, to kind of touch on Australia, um, I have been really getting into Australian wines recently and I am a sucker for their Chardonnay. Now listen, I am not a Chardonnay girl whatsoever, um, but I've had some really rich, really fruity, almost like buttered popcorn Chardonnays from Australia and I'm really digging them. Um, their Rieslings are really tart, they're really fantastic, super fruity. Um, they jam out with dark jammy Shirazes and Grenaches, um, a lot of like raisiny redness to it. Um, so all over Australia, a lot of the like New South Wales, Sydney, Victoria, Melbourne areas tend to have a lot of really cool valleys. And um, you can't forget on the other side, um, the Margaret River on the Perth side of Western Australia. Um, I find that they're a little bit more rare, but they're a little bit more distinguished. So um, New South Wales, Tasmania, Victoria, South Australia, Western Australia all provide really cool wines. But um, if you can get anything from the Margaret River on the per in the Western Australian area, so south of Perth, um, that is one heck of a spot to get some Australian wines. Um, also know that Sauvignon Blanc is kind of like a huge seller for them, but they do a really, really unexpected Riesling. So don't knock their Riesling until you try it. Um, also they do a kind of a mirrored match of a Semillon to France. Um, so try their Semillon. So Riesling, Semillon, Chardonnay on their white side. On the red side, they do cab. They do a good cab blend. But Grenache and Syrahs are going to be where it's at. Um, their Shiraz is absolutely fantastic. Um, but they do really cool Grenaches and tend to, tend to blend very well. Um... Argentina and Chile, again, we're going to touch base on these ones really quickly. Um, Argentinian Malbec, um, Tarantes, um, Bonardas um, are all very popular. Um, Malbec, dark, heavy, intense, spicy. Uh, Tarantes are your fragrant dry white. Um, Bonardas are lighter, kind of fruitier reds. Um, so Argentina does a really good job, but a lot of their stuff is coming from Mendoza um, and the Buenos Aires area. Um, so just know um, on the other side of the Buenos Aires re region. So um, more Mendoza area um, for Argentina. Chile on the other side of that has um, some really cool valleys. Um, they're right on the coast. So Carmenere is a really popular one from there. Um, tends to resemble um, Bordeaux style like Merlots and Cabernet Sauvignons. Um, super intense and dark um, herbal scented wines. Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Bordeaux style wines come from Chile. Um, they make some really cool, big, bold wines. Um, they tend to blend. So you're gonna get Cab, Merlot, um, Syrahs, Malbecs, um, Petit Verdots, and things like that, but more Bordeaux style on the Cab and the sub and the Merlot versus their own like big bold style. Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blanc are two very popular whites. Um, their Chardonnay tends to be a little bit lighter bodied, so kind of a midweight body, not such a full bodied. Um, and their 
other most popular would be Merlot on a mid-weight as well. Um, their dark reds tend to be really aromatic and really age-worthy. Um, so if you get like a Chilean Cab or a Chilean Carmenere, feel free to hold on to it for a little while. Because um, you, you're getting some age-worthy wines. New Zealand is um, one of those, you know, keep an eye on. Um, I haven't really dove into very many New Zealand's wines quite yet. Um, but they do Sauvignon Blanc and Chardonnay very well. Um, and Pinot Noir. Their Pinot Noir, they tried to make um, a little bit different because it's such a fickle grape. Pinot Noir can be grown in so many different areas that they're trying to perfect it in their own way. Um, so know that New Zealand is very heavy Sauvignon Blanc versus anything. So a lot of people are getting their Marlboro Sauvignon Blancs. Um, they're tart. They're unoaked. Um, Chardonnay, um, the Pinot Noir gives something more to, to be desider, desired, I won't lie. They're kind of pale, a um, little bit tangy, uh, but there's a lot of different really cool regions in New Zealand. Um, on the North Island, there's Hawke's Bay. On the Southern Island, you're talking about Marlborough and the Central Otago. Um, I think that each region provides its own something unique. So um, what I've learned and the things that I have tasted, um, I mean, they've been around for a long time, but they model a lot of Loire Valley. Um, and they tried to, but tried to spin it and make it their own. And New Zealand really got into the game in the 70s. So um, they had some time to really kind of perfect their wines. Um, I just don't see them as, you know, such a high producer of a lot of wines. They're just really, really good at what they're good at. Um, so again, Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir. They're just really good at those few. Um, unlike Italy that does like a million different grapes and can perfect all of them. Again, to touch on South Africa, they're doing a lot of Pinotages. They're doing Cabernet Sauvignon blends. They're doing white Chenin Blancs and Chardonnay and Sauvignon Blancs. Um, I think South Africa is the one to watch out for. I really do. I think they're the the Cape that wine is made. It's all in Cape Town. Um, I think South Africa is the most predominant growth in wine in this century. I really think South Africa is going to put um, themselves on the map and take the wine world by storm. So um, we covered quite a bit of regions today. We went pretty in depth, actually more in depth than I actually really thought I was going to for the old world. But um, new world, I think we have a lot more to learn and a lot more to cover. I'm going to really start to get into tasting in these areas so I can really give you a great background by background, sorry, by time we get to New World. Um, so strap in, get ready. We are going around the world. Um, next week, we will dive into France. We're going to start there and we're going to keep moving through. Um, we covered a high overview of every region that we're going to cover today. Um, but we'll start diving into all the different nuances and what regions grow what grapes and why and what to look for in the stores while you're out and about. Um, because like we know, labels don't always look pretty, but some of the prettiest wines are in the bottles with the most boring labels. So um, I want to say thank you for today. Thanks for being with me. Thanks for learning something new with me. Uh, today, again, old world versus new world. And we are saddling up, getting our gears together, and getting ready to go on a world adventure through wine. My source today, biggest source of most of what I've been doing, is wine, a tasting course from grape to glass with Marnie Old. Um, wine Foley is your wine best friend for beginners. 
Um, I love the Magnum edition. I read it often and we're going to be pulling a lot of stuff from there in the coming future. And as always, I have my sommelier certification book that I reference regularly. So um, shout out again, as usual, to Podcastle. Um, easiest and coolest, best way to create a podcast. Um, they make it very easy. Stock music. I tend to be pretty uniform, so I keep the same music. But really cool stuff. Um, it's really easy to record. I just plug in a mic and I go. Um, so way to go, Podcastle. Follow me on socials. Viva Porvino on Instagram and Facebook. Follow the journey. You'll see a lot of really cool posts as we go. Feel free to save the things that I'm posting. Um, add it to your journal and just follow along. If you do want to connect with me, feel free to slide into my DMs or send me a really cool email. I'd love to know more about your wine journey. I'd love to know more about you and how we can um, experience and elevate wine in a different way for you. So um, again, thank you for being with me. Thank you for learning a little something on our Wine Wednesday adventures um, around here at Viva Porvino, a podcast about wine. We live for wine. Thanks so much. Cheers. <laughs>